0: My goodness me! Here it is. Predictable. Well choreographed.
1: Perfectly rehearsed.
0: Hello and welcome to episode 8 of season 2 of Grassroots, the leading podcast exclusively focused on club-level women's rugby. In this grand slam of an episode, we meet the incredible Sue Anstis. hear all about her work, her dreams for women in sport, and her new documentary, Game On. We talk about a particularly bizarre refereeing incident... Molly changes her tune on the tackle law, and we discuss how to change your coach. Jodie brings an Italian theme to knock on, knock off, and we announce the winner of our Bruise of the Month competition.
1: 22 months out with a triple B operation She runs in, tries for fun. I'm
2: Geese. I'm Lou. I'm Molly. I'm Joyce. And I'm Jodie.
0: And I'm Matt. This is Grassroots. Oh, by the way, I thought I... would Last minute, change the agenda. You have? Talk about, yeah. I'll fire into it in a minute. Let's do the usual catch-ups anyway. How is well, everybody? Fa-
3: thanks for the preparation time there, but okay. That's
0: all right. You don't need preparation time for this.
3: Oh, okay. God. Oh, God.
0: How is everybody? Lonely. Lonely? Why are you lonely, Jodie?
4: Really lonely. The last few oh, it's days. it's Valentine's Day, isn't it? Yeah. The last few days, it's really hit me how lonely
1: I actually am. Really? Hmm. You just need a good finger blasting and then you'll be fine. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh my God. God. Sorry. <laughs> I managed 45 seconds. It's Valentine's Day. We've got to have a bit of sexual content.
0: I think we do. Sorry. Yeah, that's a Sorry, good point, do, actually, do, it's do. Probably about the only content we're going to get on Valentine's Day.
1: Yeah, so we are recording
4: this on Valentine's Day for the viewers, so you can sort of note how long it takes to uh, get out. You can see where we are. I've kind of fully accepted being single and happy with it and okay with it but the last few days with it coming up i just i don't even want sex i just want a spoon i just want to cuddle someone i just want to hold someone i just miss the warmth of someone's body next to me
0: do you want me to come around and spoon you jody <laughs> <I'm
4: not, laughs> yes <laughs> um, right
0: you can tell me a big spoon or little spoon
4: i like big big spoon
0: yeah that's probably preferable Mm-mm. How about you, Molly? What are you what's your Valentine's Day looking like?
1: Well, I'm on the phone with you, dickhead, so looking pretty snazzy. <laughs> no, I don't like Valentine's Day. I think it's a pathetic day and everyone's all like lovey dovey and then they're a cunt to each other for the rest of the year, so it's not for me.
0: <laughs> Notable that Lucy's not here, isn't it? Actually.
1: Yeah, the uh, least romantic of us all, and she's gone off with her PT noted. Yeah. <laughs> gone off, off or off? <laughs> gone off
0: got off with her PC. yeah no She's kind of um pounding some dumbbells pun intended Jesus
1: Christ. <laughs> valentine's day for me is the same as every other day you know i've just got handfuls of admirers throwing themselves at me i think valentine's day is overrated a bit like how i feel about christmas don't think you should have to have a day in the calendar where you have to make an effort to show someone you love them because you should do it all year round same as christmas you see your family, you should see your family all year round, but life gets in the way. So, Jodes, I understand that you want a spoon, and I'm sure we can arrange it, but I reckon probably choose me or Lou before Matt. Okay, thank you. <laughs> can make it a three-way <laughs> cater three more for your needs. Well, she's a lesbian, number one. That's, that's
0: even more reason to have a platonic spoon with me, isn't
1: it? I don't think she wants she, a If she has a spoon, spoon with you,
0: it's going to end up with...
1: Scissors.
0: One of you getting a wide on. A oh, what wow.
1: <laughs> a wide on? What the? Bunch. No, I'm saying Jodie would prefer a spoon with me or Lou because we are of correct gender. Unless you want to tell us something. Me, no. Me, no. I'm
0: more. I'm more suggesting that it'd be more likely to be a platonic situation with a man than a woman in Jodie's situation.
1: Nothing is ever platonic with Jodie. <laughs> this is so true.
0: <laughs> Okay, so I think for the listeners, Jodie and I are not going to go around and spoon each other just yet. <laughs> Although, if I was going to go and spoon anybody tonight, Jodie, it would be you, just so that you know that.
4: I appreciate that. Thank you.
0: Yeah, no worries.
4: How would your wife feel about that, though? <laughs> <laughs> it's Valentine's Day, sorry for dipping out.
0: Um, just for a quick spoon with Jodie. Yeah, that'd be an interesting one <laughs> to explain to the family. So Lou, no Valentine's specials in the restaurant today? You haven't cut all your burgers into heart shapes or done anything crazy with the chips?
3: Well, we have had a few people, can you believe it? A few people phone up and say, have you got any like heart-shaped cakes or are you doing a Valentine's special? (laughs) Basically said, no, we haven't and we're not. And also we're not open tonight. So for the general public, it's just student night. So we'll be... Entertaining the students of Reesheath College and extracting as much money out of them as possible whilst giving them as little booze as possible, as nice. usual, on a Tuesday, yes.
0: So this is not open to the general public on student night? You have to be a student.
4: Well, you have to be a student.
0: Didn't know that. Can and we, we don't discuss
4: do the fact that you've removed the condom machine days <laughs> prior to <laughs> Valentine's Day? That was a bad move.
3: Well, it's all academic, really, because there were no condoms in there. Actually, I tell a lie. There was one pack of condoms that had fallen down to the bottom. Uh, would anyone like to hazard a guess as the best before date on them? Oh. 1996. 96? <laughs> Fuck off. The
4: year I was born. Yep.
0: Maybe that's why you were born, Jodie. <laughs>
4: yeah.
0: Maybe that's what happened. Your mum, when to gets something, they'd run out because it had fallen down the back. But money and nothing came out.
3: So literally, they've been on the walls of the toilets in Kennedy's Harrisons for a very, very long time. I did manage to extract £120 of old pound coins out of them. They're out of
4: circulation now.
3: (laughs) Yes, they very much are. But there's two new pound coins in there from two 13-year-old girls who went in to try and get some condoms, but were very upset when the machine actually was empty, but took their two pound coins.
0: Upset and also now pregnant
3: possibly <laughs> yeah <laughs> <Jude is> horrified <laughs> oh my
4: god
0: that's disgraceful behavior
3: yeah anyway another fun day at kennedy's diner yep
0: yeah i'm very excited today we've got a special guest on which is sue Anstis. now sue has been an inspiration to a number of people within our, our podcast crew for quite a while now uh, and we're absolutely delighted to have you on sue so thanks for joining us
5: Thank you. Delighted to be here.
0: First questions first, Sue. What's going on at the minute? You've been all over the news recently, you've been really prevalent in you know with the book that's come out and particularly your commentary around the women's game throughout the World Cup and so on. But what's happening?
5: Busy, busy. Someone asked me yesterday, am I really busy or, or nice busy? And I think I'm nice busy at the moment. So Uh, Lots of activity with the Women's Sport Collective, so a network for women working across sport. And then as you say, yeah, lots of work around the book and and within the world of women's rugby too, working on a women's documentary that's hopefully coming out in the next couple of months on women's sport. So yeah, lots of fantastic activity, really driving change across women's sport.
0: So you first came across my radar, Sue, when we watched No Women, No Try. And I think it's fair to say that when we sat down as a club to watch it, when we did it at our clubhouse and had maybe 50, 60 women and girls from the game and and a few of the the lads as well watching it together. And it's fair to say it was quite an emotional event for us all, wasn't it?
2: Oh, definitely. Yeah.
0: Tell me a little bit about that. What was your role in it and how how did the the idea start to come about? And I guess, what did you gain from that experience?
5: Yeah, no, it's lovely to hear that it was emotional because I do think that I think even when I look watch it again now it is the whole piece is so emotional and and I think probably shows how little content there is out there for women and women's sport you know we see more coverage but the the very fact that it had such an amazing response is because there's been so little uh, where women could truly see themselves uh, in in media and documentaries so it was Victoria Rush who kind of came up with the idea and worked with a Ben and Jack Studios to, to create it and bring it to fruition. But I think just that telling the story that maybe many of us have experienced and lived for a long time, but being able to bring that to the big screen uh, and to tell the, the different elements around the challenges facing women rugby players, both at elite and, and grassroots level two, was, as you say, resonated so much with people, not just in the rugby world, but across sport. When we watched the documentary at the club, it
1: kind of resounded with me how important it is for the girls section and the women's section to have these role models and in the documentary it showed Victoria who we know quite well who was playing at Richmond and kind of not quite premiership and then you've got the contrast with Shauna Brown who's done international and then the other lady you'll have to remind me of her name who talked about obviously the identity that she's found with rugby for yeah Zena Oh, Steph yeah and Steph. with yeah. the um,
0: oh Steph Evans of course yeah, yeah
1: Steph Evans and the, and the headwear and rugby rugby really inclusive what do you think it does to the younger generation to be able to see these role models on the documentary and just in sport in general
5: yeah I just think it's huge I think from a documentary point of view and again I said the similar kind of premise I guess to the documentary I'm now working on too is sometimes I think people are not going to really necessarily have those conversations and I've always thought in terms of my book it'd be lovely if people read the book that's fantastic but it is 86,000 words and I don't expect everyone should read that but a documentary you know in your front room just an hour to sit and watch on a channel like you know prime netflix etc i think it just reaches a different audience and shares the story in a different way so that's probably why i think it is so powerful to reach people in that way but also just it's really you know gratifying i think for those women that are involved to see their stories being told and as you say those, those role models are so so important aren't they and And we see that a lot with women's sport, don't we, that those athletes, how long they hang around post-game signing autograph, whether it's the rugby players or the netballers and the footballers, cricketers, etc. So there really is a, a slightly different attitude, I think, to those female athletes who perhaps, because they were deprived of the opportunity themselves... You know, really do talk a lot about inspiring the next generation, which I think sometimes can be you almost think it gets a bit cheesy that we keep saying it but I mean even watching the Arnold Clark cut recently, the football England, the Lionesses playing. they are just there for hours and hours in a way you wouldn't see male players doing. so I just think it is it is so important, and we know that we see the impact it has on on younger players knowing what they can emulate that in the future. Shauna spoke about Ugo Monier and the
1: importance of the male people who are invested in our game being that kind of extra layer of getting the game out there. And I think that's massive because when we have male players at our club or dads that get involved and they spread the word to places we can't reach, we can obviously shout about the women's game. And Steph obviously talks about all the, you know, the struggles of women's fit kit and all of that. But if we don't have those male role models in in the rugby circle standing up for us and kind of saying wow have you seen these women play rugby they're incredible it's quite a struggle to reach those places to get the female game out there
5: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it is about your, right, and I know Steph talks in the documentary, doesn't she, about the reach into whole new, we can keep talking in our little bubbles and circles, but it's that reach into new audiences. And I think, I mean, Sean is so articulate in this topic too, but sometimes it's those men that are speaking up that almost gives it that credibility, even if it's a man, you know, may not be a high profile man or or a hugely influential man, but actually a man saying that about women's sport uh, somehow has so much more impact than a woman because you kind of expect women to say that too. So I do think, you know, sadly, as it is, that is the case and we need to accept that that's the fact. And so having men speaking out and kind of calling out and spreading the word and, and becoming male allies, that is just so important for the women's game and women's sport more broadly.
0: One of the lines that really resonated from the book was, we don't want to take over. We just want to take part. I think that really resonated with with you guys, Molly and Goose, maybe talking about it.
1: Yeah, it's my favourite line and I think it comes first. I was literally <laughs> I,
2: I think both Molly and I had talked about getting tattoos with that because it just, it, it rang so true. We've had conversations within our club about how we don't want to be treated as separate as you're, you're the women's team and this is the men's team. We just want to be equal and to play in the same sphere as the men do and I think we had a big event on Friday just gone Sue where we had a home match and we had our biggest crowd that we've ever had to a women's game down at Creanampwich and for all of us we all said that was and to steal the title of your book it was a bit of a game changer for us as a squad and what will hopefully be game changing for the club it put us on a a level footing It, it it showcased women's rugby at its best and women's sport at its best that line In the front of your book, I mean, I've read your book from front to cover, but it's that line that draws me back in every time because it rings so true.
0: It's
5: lovely to hear I was gonna say I didn't someone asked me because all the quotes I've got are attributed to people throughout the book that start the chapters and that one's not attributed and they said where's it from and I don't know where it's from but I just <laughs> I, I, really liked it. I saw it so it's actually not my not not they're not my words it is somebody's quote somebody's words but I really liked it so I put it there because it for me absolutely illustrates that and I think it's that being seen on an equal level but also not I don't want men to feel alienated or they're going to have less of it because we want some of it. And I think that's really important is that otherwise you create that fear and that protectionism of we're not going to let you have this opportunity, this space, this funding, this visibility, these roles in sport because we, there'll be less for us and actually that isn't what equality and feminism's about at all it's about equality for all being good for all and that I guess that's the message I really want to get across that it's not more for us and less for you it, it's good for everybody and I think Absolutely. that's
2: probably one of the biggest arguments I've had not arguments but probably the most liveliest discussions I've had with males about women's sport particularly around tv coverage we don't want to take away from the men we just want to be on an equal playing field and unless we can showcase women's sport of all kinds across the media young girls young people growing up if you can't see it you can't be it and that's probably the biggest debate and i don't know i've obviously in your book you talk about how we can we can help and how we can bring in the numbers and the the records broken for watching of women's football and women's netball and all those sports across the board there's obviously still a challenge there to be met but do you see progress being made and how do you think we can we can help that going forward in future and making it you turn on the tv on a sunday and it's just football on the tv it's not women's football it's not
5: men's football it's just football and that becomes the the norm i think we're beginning to see changes as uh, clubs and sports are seeing actually if i feel a stadium take Twickenham for example but you know if we can fill Twickenham for a women's game and then the next weekend a men's game and then the next week actually that's fantastic isn't it that's bringing that's ticketing and money and investment and merchandise and all the rest of it that goes with that so I think uh sports recognising that the women's enables them to almost double what they're already doing in terms of opportunities to see an income and from a viewing perspective as well times have changed you know it's not like we just had when i was growing up uh mm-hmm. but three channels you know like there's, there's so much uh opportunity i know we want it on free to air but there's so much more around the you know 24 7 there's so much opportunity to be showcasing that so it's not as if it is just less of to to give more you know there's so much other stuff that could be replaced with fantastic sporting contents i don't i, I don't feel there is as much of that argument of we won't have that and you can have this and I, and I guess social media the growth of women's sport across streaming and social media that's where we're seeing people are moving to streaming so if you think about how we watch whether it's on you know BBC or whatever or iplayer but there is so much more opportunity to be streaming sport and to be seeing sport and that's where we've seen the coverage of women's sport grow but but that free to air bit definitely that's what the women's sport trust research has shown us you know getting it on free to air is a bit where you find that that new audience that didn't realize that women's sport is just as brilliant if not more brilliant in many cases than men's sport but that needs to be put in front of them the, the first time so uh, that is really powerful so I do feel things are changing and the numbers and the crowds coming in are going to change that I almost feel like football is just a bit of an outlier in terms of men's football and that's not just versus women's sport that's versus any sport so sometimes it's kind of hard to compare male football with women's football, women's sport, because it's just so extreme in terms of the the funding that comes into it, the coverage it receives.
0: My observation, Sue, is that the sport itself is largely the same. I mean, it's still People kicking a ball around or throwing a ball around, you know, the end, the objective of the game is more or less the same. But what is very different is the supporter base, isn't it? And it's what the, those supporters want from a game of rugby or football on a Saturday or a Sunday afternoon. What steps do you think the women's game can, in, in rugby this is, take to make them the experience of going to see it more appealing?
5: There's been some interesting discussion, even recently. I think actually um, one of the Radio One DJs shared something about men's football, about that you know feeling like you're not a good enough fan, you don't know enough about the players, you, you're almost being excluded because you're not a proper fan. And when we don't see that in women's sport, it, you know, it's very very inclusive. And I'm, I'm always not warned off of saying it's very family friendly because it's not just families; it's it's all people are kind of welcome and included within women's sports audiences. And when and now we're beginning to measure and record that and actually show. So actually ticket sales for the euros last summer you know a huge percentage uh purchased by women for fa- under 16s and families and so on so we are truly seeing how inclusive and you know anyone that's been to a women's football match versus a men's knows how different it feels uh, by way of the atmosphere and the experience too so i do think there's is, is that challenge isn't it of of how do we maintain that and build upon that and make it even more so and I know overseas in Australia and others, some uh, some of the big events they're doing. Looking at the music that's played, you know what's uh, even around the hundreds. Some of the research from the cricket uh, last couple of summers. But what do we do during the women's games versus the men? Is it different entertainment? Is it different activity? Is it serve, serving different products? Is it less beer and you know not to say that women don't want to come along and um, drink too, but it is a different feel uh, to the event to men's and female. So not just replicating what we've done for the men's and thinking that's going to work for the women's, but understanding what that fan base wants. And I, and I think on a broader point, that's the same across the whole piece, I think, is yes. is actually we don't just take what we've done with the men's and we say, oh, now we're going to stick the women's into that same mould. We can do it differently and we can do it better. And I think crowds is one of those areas. So, uh, me and Goose got the privilege of coming to the RFU event.
1: Uh, was it three weeks ago at Leicester? Yeah. Three weeks ago. Yeah. Honestly, so I saw it on Facebook on the Women's Network group and I was just like, Goose, we need to go. So, Lucy's called Goose, <laughs> by the way, if you're wondering why. I yeah. <laughs> and I just, like when we left, we just felt so empowered and I went on a refing course last night, I coach uh, and play. I need to think of a retirement plan. Do you think, what are you laughing at? It's true, I'm old now, 18 years of rugby <laughs> Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going. You're bit- not going anywhere. Molly. Yeah, okay. <laughs> But what would you say is the biggest barrier for women in sport in general? Because I know we're talking about rugby, but from women's sport in general, what do you think is the biggest barrier for either girls or women to get involved in any sport?
5: I think if you look at the this go can research and those kind of studies, it is about fear. It's fear of judgment of what people are going to think about me. In terms of how I look, how I perform, am I too good? Am I not good enough? You know, and, and all those things that society has taught us about being a woman and, you know, how we need to appear as women. So I think from the research that I've seen, that does seem to still be a big issue. And I think definitely if we look at the sad, huge dropout of teenage girls. Uh, Whilst things are great and we're getting more access and there's more visibility and funding and all those amazing things we've said, uh, it does still really distress me that you see that massive dropout of teenage girls because of whether it is around clothing and it's around periods and it's around how females are perceived in society and how they perceive themselves and all those things too. So I do feel we've come a long way, but there is still lots to address there.
0: Looking at it from as a dad, my daughter's 12 going on 17 and it's amazing how things that to a man seem quite little to her are massive Mm. uh, when it comes to sports and exercise so wondering uh, is she going to have enough time to get changed you know to go back to class after sports are her trainers the right ones in the context of her peer group it's Mm. does the clothing that she wears fit comfortably And, and also that bit of not wanting to be seen to be too good or too keen, wanting there to be fairness. I find that, as a man, bizarre to watch. You know, I remember she's quite a good runner. I remember her actually waiting for a friend to catch up on a long-distance race Mm -hmm. because she didn't want to, to beat her, even though she could have beaten her by some distance, you know. These are little things that I would say would be fairly easy to fix. But do you think there's a fundamental problem with the way women perceive sports at that age group
5: and how society perceives women and how women are in society i mean that's the the challenge the, it's almost like a small thing to fix but it's not it's a massive thing to fix and one of the things i've Almost had that whole slightly challenging of girls in school. Oh, they need showers and changing rooms and hair dryers and what have you. And a bit of me, that's all fine. And, and actually, they can do dance and you know all those nice you know things that are feminine. Or my ultimate ambition would be to have a society where it's okay for girls to be sweaty and muddy and come back to class looking like the boys look like. But but actually society doesn't dictate that it over you know hundreds of years it said that women need to look this way that's our you know what we need more so than men and boys and so that's why those girls don't want to be seen as sporty your daughter doesn't want to win that race and beat others one of my daughter's schools one of the girls cycle to school because it's just not seen as a thing that you do it's not a very feminine thing to cycle. you know it's ridiculous isn't it but actually that is as society is So part of it is, can we change the schools to make physical activity and not just sport more accessible and appealing to girls? But ultimately, I'd love it not to be an issue, but, but that's a much bigger challenge, isn't it? To make it so that girls are comfortable in themselves and happy with their bodies, whatever shape their bodies are, and celebrate their bodies for what they can do rather than how they look. That's a massive ambition. But I feel that sport and celebrating sport and having we talked about as amazing role models and the more that we see fantastic strong powerful brilliant women celebrated and as role models then actually that begins to change those perceptions of what it is to be a woman and what it is to be feminine their bodies are there to do brilliant things with rather than just to look (laughs) and embellish men's sport as historically we've seen with walk-on girls and grid girls and girls beside men kissing men when they've won the Tour de France actually now women can compete in the Tour de France too
0: what's been really interesting talking to you Sue is is listening to you know your journey and all the different people that you've spoken to and all the research that you've read and all of those things that come into this growing and emerging picture of women's sport and how we can make it better and how we can encourage more women and girls to participate if you were to distill it into maybe three things that you think will make the biggest difference, what would they be?
5: It's about visibility. So it's about getting women's sport seen on television, in newspapers, talked about on the radio. So that, for me, there are many different components. But visibility for me, I think, has been the bit where we'll see the biggest shift. I guess then there is investment. And it's too broad a word just to say investment. But that is what we need, is that commitment to driver change whether that's professional contracts or it's investment in access for children you know girls at all levels so I think that is so important and then and I guess it almost because of the work I do with the women's sport collective and across talking to women and the game changes podcast and all that I think it's about leadership and getting women in senior roles within sport across sports so whether that is Raw classes and news editors as well as those behind the scenes producing content as well as those you know on all our boards and federations and councils might I mention as we're talking about rugby but in all those places is getting female representation because it was you know research shows it's so much better better decisions made uh, but also we then got women in those positions of decision making and authority thinking about things that will benefit women and girls so probably those three things are visibility investment from all sides yeah leadership and getting women in the right place and that is also as coaches and I'm assuming you mentioned that amazing what an amazing event that coaching and officials event that England Rugby put on uh, I felt so emotional on that day. That's gonna make a huge difference to have women coaching and actively involved, but needing more women in senior roles to make those decisions to ensure that happens across sport. So that that's the bit I think that's really important.
0: On your journeys then, so particularly with writing the book, which is a challenging beat. I mean it's not you don't just sit down and start writing and hope you get to the end at some point. It's a lot <laughs> of research and planning goes into it. You know, what did you learn most from that experience? What were the things that you took away from it and thought, wow, that was eye opening?
5: I mean, I absolutely loved writing the book. Almost when I look back on my rationale for it it was because I wanted, I felt I was not the expert in, but I kind of know quite a lot about women's sport. I haven't worked in it for such a long time. But I wanted to know more and have that confidence that I really did know more. So actually it gave me an opportunity to go and research and talk to experts and gather more information and get it into one place. I do feel that I learned that the joy almost of going and gathering and creating something. And it's made me realize the things that I love. So, actually, I like making stuff. I like being creative and coming up with things. And, you know, whether that is a podcast, a book, this documentary now, you know, the Women's Book Collective, really, is that initiating and creating things? I think it's made me recognize what it is that brings me joy. And actually, you just go and do these things and then other things will follow. As they progress and develop, I think that's probably a bit of a life thing I've learned in the last 10 years Mm -hmm. or so. Yeah, not to plan it too much. I mean, obviously, there was planning in writing the book, but just, you know, to follow the things that you love and do what feels right, and then the rest will follow. That does seem a bit of a life motto, I feel. Who's inspired you along the way then? Yeah, in terms of women's sports, it's funny as I say, lucky to talk to so many amazing trailblazing women, but often, and I am so privileged to talk to some fantastic athletes, but often it's not the athletes or it's the former athletes that have then gone on to do uh, other things within, you know, administration often sounds a little bit dull, doesn't it? But within the administration of sport, but those behind the scenes running the sport, the Moya Dodds, for, who was on the first, you know, first one on the FIFA board, Sue Day at the RFU. So, so women who really get it and, are, and have made sacrifices to go and drive change Maggie Murphy down at Lewis FC so a lot of those women I think I am inspired by athletic prowess and amazing sportswomen. I love watching that but I think it's those women who have made sacrifices or have just seen a different someone like Claire Connor at the ECB have seen a different way to get others on board and drive change I think I'm really you know find them very inspiring.
0: Looking ahead then obviously the Rugby World Cup's coming up in this country you know we're all very excited about it because you know l- last time around women's sport was starting to emerge rather mm. than back pages which is which it is now i think all of us that watched the the final down in new zealand feel like there's a, an itch to scratch on the pitch as well from that result but you know looking forward to that what are you most excited about and, and where do you think the biggest uh, challenges are going to be in in that event
5: yeah, I think I'm excited about the fact that we're talking about it now, and it's two years out, and we're not just talking about the legacy post 2025. So that excites me that the England rugby have got these impactive you know, that event we went to, but other activities. So it's the build up too. So the April 29th game at Twickenham for England, France and w- where we might get to, who knows, 50,000, 55,000 at Twickenham. So I think for me, it's the ju- the fact that we're on this amazing journey towards 2020 and 25. And then I think what happens around that time and hopefully, uh, you know, filling Twickenham will be part of that, but actually across the country, what the RFU are doing and across uh, the different regions and then coaches and officials and grassroots, you know, women coming into the game and that foundation changing as well as awareness. So. I think it's it's all of those things that excite me. And, and with, with 2025 as being the bit at the end, obviously I hope that we'll win, but I also hope that it's really competitive because other nations are now funding their athletes and they've got proper support in for them. So not just the home nations, but, you know, across the world. I want England to win. I should make that very clear. But how fantastic that it can be so competitive that others will be right up with, uh, with them too. And that's important is, is women's rugby on a global stage too. And I think that's the impact that our success and what we're doing can ripple out and have too. That's really exciting.
0: How does it feel to be an inspiration to people?
5: Oh, I don't know, I've been asked that before. I think it's nice. My ch- I think my children maybe they got a bit more respect for me now. I don't know. <laughs> if they listen to this, they might say not. Uh, but that's um, for me. Sometimes that's the nicest bit. Almost is like when you I've got say got three daughters and they're now and there, whatever late teens 20s and you as a parent you, you know you'll have this you're just young at the moment but you'll have this as they get older that's been really lovely to have them almost see oh yeah you know I'm not just mum I am out there doing other things and driving change yeah so it's, it's kind of really lovely because I guess I've been so inspired by others and it is it's a just a lovely privilege to feel that you're able to have an impact and I think I said I talked a little bit about the women's sport collective but the work that we're doing creating a network for all women working in sport to connect and then the feedback that we get from the impact that's having for women on finding jobs and finding new roles and building connections it's really gratifying just to see actually yeah we can do it. I can't change the world, but I can do something in my circle here that can ripple out and have a real impact. And, you know, that's a really lovely, and I'm very lucky to be in in that place. It's a lovely place to be. We've
2: talked about the fact that women's sport is making huge gains and strives and moving really far forward. What would be your one bit of advice to that young girl or that woman out there who perhaps loved sport when they were younger or has really got an interest in sport, but just can't, hasn't got the confidence to make the leap and and go and turn up at a rugby pitch and get out there and introduce themselves back into some sort of sporting network and grow their family that way. What would your top tip or tips be for that individual and, and how they move forward with that?
5: Uh, yeah, I guess it's almost two hats. One from a sporting and one from a trying to come and get more women working in the sports sector too. From a taking part in sport, I just think there are so many different sports out there and obviously I'm a passionate fan of rugby I've never played I did go to an inner warrior camp once but i kind of missed the boat on rugby but I think it doesn't need to be rugby there are so many amazing sports and activities out there so if you have tried something that's not for you just keep looking and seeking other sports and activities and opportunities because I think there's so much choice out there you will find something that resonates and make you you know you thoroughly enjoy and you'll find your people and your team so And I think everybody's in exactly the same position. I said that piece earlier about fear. I think so many people do have that initially needing to overcome and try something new. It's hard to say go and be brave, isn't it? But give it a go, give it a try. A lot of what we're doing with uh, Women's Sport Collective is trying to showcase the roles for women in sport. It's amazing that women are playing sport, but also fantastic opportunities in this brilliant sector it's it's so exciting and the growth of women's sport not that just women need to work in women's sport but does mean that there are so many roles and opportunities for women to come and work in sports so I you know we love to kind of showcase those things that are there not just in media and marketing and PR but all those amazing jobs as you know as sports scientists or in a legal field or as accountancy whatever you want to work in you can do it in sports so that's also my piece you just kind of have a look and give it a a try and once I think once you start working in the sports sector it's hard to leave because it is such a lovely space to be in but in terms of young women and girls mine is always just put your hand up go for it volunteer for things take opportunities say yes to everything I think that's probably how I've lived my life and career is is being the person that steps forward to take things on even though you're not kind of sure in the first place but usually succeeds you know you, you have some failures and then you step up into it again so uh, yeah, I think it's putting your hand up for things is, is probably the advice I would give. Our podcast is quite light and funny and fluffy,
1: Sue, so I'm not going to do anything too embarrassing. And
2: I,
5: I hope you. I've been funny and I hope I've been light enough for you. Oh, no? very
0: much so, yeah. <laughs>
2: I don't know if we've ever been described as fluffy. I think that's a new one. <laughs> yeah, definitely
0: not
1: fluffy. I just didn't want to bring the tone down too much. So I've been quite good, but your answers have been amazing. And we don't want to take away from men. But one of the things that I've kind of learned through my rugby journey is sometimes it can be really awkward being a woman in a sporting environment. So one of my experiences has been where I've been coaching under 16 boys and I've turned up at a game and they've gone to uh, my partner and said, oh, you're the head coach. Mm-hmm. and he's surrounded and I said, Oh, no, Molly is. And the guy actually laughed. And I just went over and I said, Oh, hello, um, I'm the head coach. And he just looked at me. And my response was kind of like, Oh, do you want to shake my hand? Or you're not able to, to shake a woman's hand uh, and laughed it off. Mm. But I just wondered if you'd had any funny moments or anyone else that's kind of described a funny moment where you've been like, Yeah, I am a woman and I am doing this.
5: We're just exploring the term banter, aren't we, at the moment and whether that's right and appropriate. But I do definitely think it starts really young. And I think there's some horror stories within football clubs and women, you know, turning up to coach. You know, you're here to clean the boots, you're here to make the tea, you're here to what have you, of not being taken seriously. And I do think that probably good humour and joking about it rather than getting aggressive and defensive is the way to go with it. Uh, and yet it is really frustrating that that is still the case and that does need to change. The more those boys now see you doing a brilliant job as a coach and we see and celebrate other amazing women succeeding, and I'm going, I'm taking it away, I'm not, I'm not giving anything funny, I'm just taking it in a slightly different direction, but it's interesting, isn't it? We often talk about, oh, when are we going to see women coaching in the men's game? And although I don't ever want that to be seen as the height of all things, actually... Serena Wiegmann winning the Euros, you know, with an England women's team. She shouldn't have to go and work in the men's team to be seen as the most successful coach. But, but that said, having women coaching men's teams and, and coaching men and boys is so important to build that respect, so that younger men coming through do see how fantastic women are and can be as coaches, and, and similarly with officials too. So, yeah, so I just think it's a it's a challenging piece, but actually from that young age. Uh, is really important. And you look at some of the coaches, like Giselle Mather, now obviously at, um Indian Trail Finders, but her, her, the work that she's done with the London Irish Academy and working with all those young men that are now part of the England squad, that's so powerful in terms of how men and boys then respect women, not just as coaches and officials, but then the women in their lives. I've, made, I've You've tried to make it fluffy. I've made it all serious now, haven't I? I like <laughs> it, though, because
1: it's so powerful what you're saying.
5: So that's always been a thing for me. I think, actually, if a boy can respect a woman in that role and celebrate an amazing female athlete, how does he then feel about his mother when he goes home or his sister or his, the girls in the school, et cetera? So, so for me, so that is the role that you do there in terms of coaching men and boys is you know is so important in a much broader sense than sport thanks for that Sue and I'm going to just input one more thing so when I went to Cornwall
1: with Goose went on holiday and we went around every bookshop was it Goose to look for your book Sue yeah I really wanted to read it and Portia Woodman I laughed because she went and put all her books in bookshops herself <laughs> and just stood by them and I just wondered if you'd ever thought about potentially doing the same
5: I do a bit of merchandising. So I'll often when I go into Waterstones, when my book's there, but it's turned sideways, I'll bring it out and put, you know, I might put Tyson Fury. Obviously, he's coming out and saying, it's always Buddy Tyson Fury, all those main books. <laughs> so I will uh, bring mine front-facing so that yeah. they are there. I have occasionally, it's, I don't know, for those of a certain age, you'll remember the J.R. Hartley advert for Yellow Pages where he's phoning around looking for, a, it's, it's not going to go well on the podcast if no one's ever seen the advert, uh, but it's a little <laughs> old man phoning around all these bookshops asking for the book this book by J.R. Hartley fly fishing and then the end of it it's like what's your name and his name is J.R. Hartley so he's asking for his book it is a lovely advert it's very funny anyway so I have often feel I'm like that I have gone into water (laughs) and did you have game on you know like by me yeah, uh, <laughs> have really, really done
0: that. Did you know they actually had to write a book called Fly Fishing by J.R. Hartley because it didn't exist, <laughs> oh, and then so many people kept going into Waterstones and asking, for, asking
5: it, for it, oh, but they that's actually fabulous. wrote one.
0: It's really funny. It's
5: a very famous ever Porsche. Oh, that's an amazing book, by the way. That is a, I love that book. A Fab, fabulous book. But she was also signing. She was on the front of one of the magazines, and she was in all the supermarkets signing the front covers of the magazines. And she said, I probably can't do this. But someone said, actually, if you go in and sign all of your books in bookshops, and they can't return them, uh, should they not sell them, they have to keep them. So I, but I haven't done that either. But that's <laughs> something else. That another author told me to go and do. Maybe
0: <laughs> we should do that with with our listeners. If you can send in a selfie of yourself. merchandising (laughs) Sue's book in Waterstones. We'll we'll give you a prize. We'll we'll figure out a prize of some sort and we'll send it to you.
2: We have a prize, actually, Batty, because Sue very, very kindly has given us a signed copy of her book, which is signed by both herself and Dame Tanny.
5: Gray-Thompson, you got the special one, didn't you? There's only three of those, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) I I have one of those, which
2: this feels like a competition in the making, actually. It does.
0: There we go. Right. So you can have a signed copy
5: yeah.
0: But you have to go in and merchandise Seasbrook book for her.
5: Yeah. And Tony, I should say why it's why it's Tony Grey-Thompson is because Tony wrote kind of very kindly wrote the forward for the book as well too but yeah there's only three of those there you go um, see so limited uh, edition uh, you heard
2: it here first <laughs> people get out there in Waterstones we're going to get some complaints from Waterstones now for random people going and taking <laughs> lots of selfies go out there and get your pictures taken with Sue Ansley's book and we shall vote on the winner and that book will come your way
1: <laughs> yeah I was going to say we can hashtag it shelf for Sue and just yes. kind of go and re- rearrange it in the shop
0: <laughs> hashtag shelfy.
1: Yeah, Shelfie. Love it.
0: (laughs) On the subject of the competition, so you very kindly agreed to pick the winner for our Bruiser of the Month competition. Now, I do apologise in advance for ruining your lunch with the. The, the pictures that I sent <laughs> over to you but I'm, I'm hoping whilst we've been chatting you've had an opportunity to, to open it and have a little look yeah there's some pretty choice specimens in there there
5: are
2: there any gasps of horror from
5: Sue yeah <laughs> <laughs> you want me to give you my favourite do you want me to do it now
0: yeah go ahead yeah I think if you want to talk through any that caught your eye as well in the, in the process we've tried to see whether we can see pictures in the breezes like whether there's Jesus in one or something but- <laughs>
5: jesus's Jesus' face on the toes. I sh- I'll give my highly commended. I like uh, Tasha Curry's uh, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And I like that we get to see most of her house in the background too. That's interesting. Her <laughs> yeah, cat's on the wall. I feel like I know Tasha now from having to go <laughs> bathroom, bedroom, every room in the house. So that 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 was a was a lovely, interesting one. I kind of felt Chrissy Thompson's one, the whole elbow arm. It feels kind of really quite painful and the way it's spread right around Everything there too, uh yeah. No, they all look paper. But the winner for me actually is Gwen Spence, interestingly, because I feel I've seen that, that bruising on my daughter's leg in the past. I think it's often a thigh with a bit of stud that she sends me pictures of. That's, that so it almost looked familiar when I saw it. I thought, oh my god, is that Molly's leg? And so I like that, and I almost feel like there could be some cacti writing in amongst the stud marks there on her leg. But look, looked, probably the most beautiful, look the most colourful, most beautiful. Uh, of the bruises i hope that's good that's perfect you. you know
0: it's a good bruise when you can almost see the sponsor's logo of the, boot <laughs> or the, the actual the, the manufacturer's logo on the in the bruise itself that's awesome look fantastic go in. congratulations on your prize you, you've won a, a grassroots rugby shirt so we'll send that down to you fantastic. at some point Sue, so in the meantime look very last question for me what has women's sport given to you
5: yeah, everything really. Everything. I think I do I do sometimes wonder what would I have done if I hadn't kind of followed my passion for sport. So yeah, no, I think it, it sounds a bit deep and profound, doesn't it really? <laughs> I guess joy. There's a lot of it. Life is about joy, isn't it? You're here once. You make make the most of it all. So I think it's it happiness and fulfillment. Yeah,
0: that's a big question that's for a, the final question it's <laughs> big. big it's so true though isn't it i think yeah we, i i'd say the same thing as well as on top of that friendships i think the people that i've met yeah, in the yeah. game it's funny you know victoria rush is a good example we she came on the podcast for some shameless free publicity and we got to know her a little bit and she actually played in our team in august we got oh, to know yeah. her and it was yeah. great fun and it, even though i'd been never met before it was it felt as if we'd known each other forever. And every single person I meet in the game, whether it's somebody of her stature or just a player down the club, it's the same.
5: Can I do my Seamus plug then? The docu- yes, of course you, I, on. course you can. Maybe I can come back when the documentary yes. comes out. So I'm hoping that in the next couple of months is all finished. It's It's beautiful, even if I say so myself. It features lots of women's rugby and another and a bit of boxing and some football and other sports too. But it will be out. Who knows when they confirm? But it will be out on a major broadcasting platform soon. Did <laughs> uh, we know the is, cycle yet? Yeah. See? It's Game On. It is called Game On. Oh, yeah. brilliant. There's it, a theme emerging here, isn't there? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so Game On coming soon to a very well known platform near you. As soon as we are able to share more and the date, they confirm the date. I'll let you know and it'd be lovely. I'd love to come back and
0: talk. Yes, oh, we can't, love can't that. wait. Absolutely, yeah. We'll hopefully we'll be able to get some people together to watch it again because that really was a great evening, Lucy, wasn't
2: it? Oh, it was amazing. Thanks. Yes, I get tingles now, still thinking about it. So yeah, oh, it was. It was fabulous. If I may, I've just got one last question for Sue, and this might again be a profound question. <laughs> <laughs> We've gone down that route a bit today. From your perspective, what is the most exciting thing you can see coming in the future for women's sport? in general
5: I think it's acceptance isn't it I think that it's it's all those big things of funding and visibility and whatever but normality and acceptance and it just being I think we said earlier almost that whole it's just football it just being part of sport and seeing it and, and again it's a we do equality and equity and all those things it doesn't need to be the same as what men's sport has done it can be different and better and all those things but I do feel that's the bit that excites me is when we when we don't need to exist anymore need to have a women's sport collective we don't need to specifically a women's celebrating of people on the podcast it is just kind of sport in the same way that men's sport exists too so i guess that's the ultimate impact it might not happen in my lifetime, but but hopefully we're moving in the right definitely in the right direction and a huge momentum even over the last two or three years massive massive shifts so that's incredibly exciting
0: wow that's a perfect way to end i think (laughs) so it's been an absolute delight speaking to you thank you so much for joining us
5: Thank you. Um, yeah. I'm now
2: going to go and quit my day job and find a sports job. So that's <laughs> I'm so... In- but, yeah, it was an honour to meet you, Sue. <laughs> so
0: yeah. Don't quit your day job, Lucy. No,
2: okay. Find another job, you for your day job. Okay.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. We can't wait to see Game On when it comes out and absolutely, we'd love to have you back on to discuss it when it's out and we can hopefully by then explore some of the themes in it. Thanks for joining us and best of luck with the next chapter.
5: Thank you so much. Thank you.
0: Most recent result looked like a good one, good win on Sunday.
5: Yeah, in fact,
1: Didsbury can tackle with their arms. <laughs> no one actually mentioned it, though, which was a relief, so that was good. Didn't get killed. No, it was a really good game. I can't speak about the thing that I want to speak about because it's not fair on uh, the uh, refing society, but let's just say absent would be an accurate uh, description. <laughs> Stupid ref, stupid ref, stupid ref,
0: stupid ref. Any examples in particular that maybe are appropriate to talk about in the context of understanding the law?
1: Red card for earrings. Yes, that's what we need to talk about. So (laughs) pre-game, and for all the refs out there, please confirm if we've lost the red. So... In the team talk, you know, ref very good, laid down the law of what he expects, you know, discipline, no high tackles, respect the ref, yada, yada, yada. Anyone got any piercings in, please remove them. Taping them up is not okay. Okay. Anybody that is found with a piercing in will be asked to leave the field. Ooh, so okay. we've all always taped piercings up. Some mm-hmm. can't be seen by the ref, so the flaps and the nipples are safe. Oh, He's not going to have a look at them. However... we're scrumming down 15 minutes in the poor didsbury prop has got a rearing you know like a tragus or something else pierced whatever we won't go into piercings again and Mm. basically he is like scouring her head because she's closest to him and he says crouch she goes hold on hold on hold on he went you to this to this loose end <laughs> you've got piercings in and she said I'll tape them up sir and he went no I told you if I see any piercings it'll be off and then I was like okay this guy's like lost it a bit." he goes to say right you need to leave the field and then I said sir sorry to interrupt I said but is this a red card or is this just I've asked her to leave the field I said because I don't think you can technically do that I think if you ask a player to leave the field it has to be for injury Or red card? I said, I'm not sure. So you're just stirring the pot? Well, no, I was just kind of saying, you're asking him to leave the field. This is going to have a massive impact in the game because you've now sent off their only two front row replacements (laughs) for piercings (laughs) as well. Anyway, well, that's not my problem. I said no piercings and I'm not standing for it. So I was like, fair enough. At least he's a man of his word. So Didgeby's front row got subbed off. We'll have to play uncontested. And I said, well, I'm not very happy about that. So we basically sent them off, but didn't send them off. They weren't allowed to come back on the field. And they were just stood there watching because the ref said they couldn't play. And I don't actually know what the law is.
4: Meanwhile, half our team on the sideline are scrambling to get scrum caps on to hide their piercings. (laughs) 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 Poor Goose had to sacrifice a scrum cap. She's been playing for years with a scrum cap, never without a game. I couldn't recognise her on the pitch without one.
1: Ellen took Sarah's headband. So Sarah was actually of better hearing than usual because she didn't have the headband on. (laughs) <laughs> Chelsea stole, or stole, borrowed Goose's head guard, which didn't fit because her hair is a lot higher. So she wears her hair a lot higher than Goose because Goose wears a low pony, Chubbs wears a high pony. It was like Maro Atoje gone wrong. And she came <laughs> on now played, played, played the best game she's ever played in a scrum cap. So now I've told yeah. her she can't take the scrum cap off again. So Goose has gone and bought a new one and gifted Chobbs the Scrummer. Oh yeah, it was a, it, it a car crash.
0: We'll be very careful with this section to protect oh the innocent. God. But it's a very hot, juicy piece of gossip. It ended up in my inbox a couple of days ago. Now, for our listeners, I can't name the source for reasons that should become obvious in a second. It's important, I think, at this stage that I say that whilst it's fun to have a bit of gossip, when there are real people involved, you've got to be a bit careful. But
3: we're going to anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah, one of our favourite teams. Again, I'm going to not going to name them because it's probably not fair on the people involved. But let's just call them. I don't know Kronenberg. Uh, I think as a as a good nickname, you know, because is 1664.
1: Um, <sighs> okay, you
2: need, right. no, <laughs>
0: you need to edit that.
1: No, <laughs> no. Right. Oh. Matthew, we are on dangerous yeah. territory here. <sighs>
3: Oh my God, do you know?
0: Yeah. So, no, I don't know. I don't know. But uh, you, I need to appeal to our listeners for additional mm. information. So I've only got one side of this story, but it, it leads me on to an interesting discussion topic, which is how to get rid of your coach. Mm. What's the point? Should you get rid of your coach? Oh, News I on the grapevine.
3: Believe, I can't believe you're going here.
0: <laughs> News oh on the grapevine God. is that a team in the area have sacked their coach. Oh, so, hey. Yeah. Again, I'm not gonna tell you. I'll read some of the, the <laughs> note that I've got in front of me. Starts off with a you know, rather I thought rather friendly salutation to the team, which is hey Queens.
4: Oh, oh
3: yeah.
2: Sack her Absolutely sack her Sacked. <laughs> Dumped.
1: I'm gonna put devil's advocate in it. I really don't think this is a good avenue to go down. <laughs>
0: I really
3: I am not sure this is good. We should do
0: it. No, we got to. We got to. No. Okay, I won't read it out. Okay, I won't read it out because I think that is unfair. But let's just say that a coach for a team we lock horns with fairly regularly has lost their coach and the circumstances of which are fairly mysterious. But it's fair to say they were sacked. Um, we don't know why they were sacked. So we can only deduce from this that it was something either fairly serious or something oh, political. But either way, it's fairly happening. Fairly serious. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is not nice. Not nice to have to do that. Uh, not nice for the team to lose a mid season. Quite shocking as well, because obviously we're all volunteers. So to be asked to stand out from your post is not very nice any which way you have to do it. In the main, I, I would assume, perhaps rightly or wrongly, that most coaches probably hang on a bit longer than they should because they are volunteers and taking what's essentially become disciplinary action against someone usually requires something quite serious to have happened or for there to have been, you know, some reasons that meant their position became untenable. So we've all been in a situation over the over the years where a coach has gone. I went myself a couple of years ago. We changed coaches, what, two years ago as well. We've seen probably coaches that we maybe haven't wanted to lose and some that we've wanted to lose sooner than they've gone. So <laughs> I guess in the context of this, and obviously our emails are always open if anybody wants to flesh out the current situation with Cronenberg, which should not actually happened. But yeah, what, what are our thoughts? Oh,
4: God. <laughs> mm.
0: I don't even know. What's
4: the que- The thoughts on what happened?
0: Let's start with a better question, which is in the past, you've probably played under coaches that you haven't liked or responded to. In that situation, had you wanted to... Maybe get rid of them or ask them to stand down or do something, put it that way. A, how would you have gone about it? And B, you know, what are the risks associated with it? I suppose.
3: Well, if you've got a coach who you don't particularly like or get on with really that badly, I think probably most people would just disappear rather than do the confrontational thing and say, this isn't okay. Uh, maybe that's just me. I don't know.
4: No, I agree. I think that'd be my response. I wouldn't want to stir the pot. I'd probably just, like slowly go away from the team. I think referring to the coach that we had a couple of years back, I think I played two games that season just because the atmosphere, it training, it games, it just wasn't comfortable. And I didn't feel the confidence to say anything. I didn't think I stood in a position to say anything. And it was easy just for me to take a step back and let them do their own thing and let people play that, let them do what they wanted to do.
3: Yeah, I think because if if the people in charge don't recognise that that coach is toxic or or not doing a great job, then you would have thought that they would address it, not you as a player.
0: Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? Molly, obviously you've been a captain. You've also been a player in a squad as a leader rather than necessarily having a title at times. Have you ever faced a situation where the players have been concerned about the coach or maybe want to to make a change?
1: Yeah, and I think without, obviously, I'd never discuss anything that I shouldn't really discuss. Um, so I'll try and talk about it in a good way. For a very old team I played for, there was actually a reverse situation, which is quite interesting, of players treating the coach badly. Um, which is is quite a difficult thing. It was ego-based and on the verge of bullying. And I had no kind of position in the club. I was just a player. And I don't mean just a player. I just mean like players are important, but I had no kind of stance from a committee level or anything like that. So it was quite interesting to see it from that side that actually do other players go along with it when they can see it happening or did they challenge that behaviour? Because in rugby, we're always taught to challenge and stand by our morals and the rugby core values so that was really difficult and in the end a group of players went to the captain and vice captain and said hang on a minute these players shouldn't be treating the coach like this and they were actually asked to leave so there's been that side that I've seen and that was really good to kind of see that actually people don't stand for it but I imagine it does happen quite a lot and I think when there's players that have been in a team a long time they you know they do get that clicky environment sometimes and it takes a really good team to stop that from developing and they basically would just abuse him etc etc and uh, moan about everything he did his training his selection everything like that and in the end they were all asked to leave and there was four of them that left so that's the flip side from a captain's perspective, I have been in several different conversations around coaching because you tend to find that people come to you um, or you get wind of stuff through the grapevine, you know, that rugby fucking grapevine. It's really difficult. And I think some of the situations that I've been in, in the past, I've lost friendships. I've offended people because I've been trying to stand up for what's right for the team. And as a captain, I think you have to do that. But I think sometimes the most common thing for a rugby team is that somebody will be with a team for a certain amount of years they'll be comfortable in their coaching environment and they'll step off the boil because in a team you need fresh ideas and somebody that's investing time and looking at new drills pushing themselves on as a coach and actually if they become comfortable in a squad the team outgrow the coach before the coach outgrows a team So that's why it's always good to have, even if the head coach remains the same, to have other coaches coming in and every year having a bit of a refresh, whether that's a new S&C coach or a new forwards coach or guest coaches and stuff. But that initial conversation with the coach is always, what are you getting out of this season? What do you want from next season? If you're just staying because you feel like no one else will do it, the team will become stagnant and stale. And it has to be a two-way conversation. What does the team need from the coach and what does the coach need from the team? And if they don't align or one's outgrown the other, I think that's when the friction starts. And that's not even taking into account people being absolute like, you know, knobs as coaches that think they own the world and and things like that. I think there has to be a very good relationship between the captain, the vice captain, the team manager and all the coaches. Otherwise there's no unity. And that's when it starts to become fractioned and, the team starts to disrespect the coach or the coach doesn't put as much effort in because they feel disrespected from the team. But yeah, I've had loads of different difficult conversations and Lou has heard me cry a million times when I've not been able to go to people in the team because it's confidential, but I'm going through a shitter because I'm having to challenge things that I don't want to challenge. And at the end of the day, we're all there, coaches or players, to enjoy playing or coaching rugby. And if if it doesn't work, then people need to find a new team and and find that new mould so that they can develop their coaching and the team can carry on and develop. But my policy is no dickheads.
3: (laughs) Well, that's a life policy, not just a rugby policy.
0: It's so important, (laughs) isn't it, to to think like that. I I mean, I think my overarching view is that any coach who goes in to manage any team should do so on a maybe, I don't know, two-yearly basis. I think one season's probably not enough. I think two seasons is good. I think a third season might be too many. And then after that, I question whether it's a good idea to keep managing and coaching a team for, for any length of time after that. Um, Simply for exactly the same things you said, Molly, I think you know you need to freshen up and you need to get a change of face, both as a player and as a coach. I think it's easy to get too close to the players, both kind of personally and in a rugby sense as well. Um, and I think sometimes, again, bringing in different perspectives is pretty important. But it is really challenging because, you know, I think, you know, you know as a coach yourself where you're losing control of the group or you're maybe not – your heart's not in it or you're just not – they're not responding, you know, not responding to you. I was sort of joking with uh, one of the dads at Rugby on Sunday about, you know, I remember trying to teach you lot something back in the day and it wasn't going in, it wasn't going in. It was frustrating me. And then we had a, a guest coach or somebody helped out for a session or something. And not only was the feedback, Oh, that coach was such a good session. They were really good. I saw them doing the thing I've been trying to teach you for months on end. I was like, well, you know, what have they done differently? And it isn't necessarily that they're a better coach than me, it's just that those sessions where somebody news in people tend to listen a little bit more intently, perhaps than that they might do otherwise. You know, you, know, you do have personalities. I certainly have personalities in the team that, I just simply didn't respond to. I found them very challenging, and I would get my back up just just by seeing their faces, let alone trying to coach them. And I think it's an important thing to do to probably engage with the director of rugby at the club, or you know, have some kind of mechanism, whatever that is, for saying, "Look, we need a change," and for it not to be on somebody like the captain's shoulders to have what can be an impossibly difficult conversation.
1: I totally agree, and I think you know, if your team and your club has got a coaching code and the players have got a player's code, then that's an adult relationship. I think, you know, lots of teams have cliques and people that make these decisions off the bat and sit around the witch's cauldron and plot the demise of people. I'm not okay with that. But what I am okay with is an adult conversation of what's wrong with you? What are you not enjoying? Well, okay, that's great because me neither. And it's that two-way relationship between players and coaches. I think the difficulty is if you lose the respect of the team because of some of your actions you're never going to get it back and for me that's key so you lead by example you take no shit and the players know no way that they stand with you as soon as that professional line gets crossed that's it same as in work you know my boss or, or you know anyone's boss they lead by example if they do something that kind of you makes you go oh you kind of lose a little bit of respect naturally for them and if that keeps happening and keeps happening and keeps happening and they don't stick by their word then the respect's gone and then the team can't listen to the coach because the they don't respect them. So yeah. example, player coach. Player coach goes on to pitch, punches somebody. But then next game they're coaching and they say, I don't tolerate violence. For me, they don't act the way they say they that you know what I mean? What's it called? Don't act as you practice what you yeah. preach. Pr- yeah, nailed it. But yeah, that's what I mean. So it's it's stuff like that. If you lose the respect and you don't demonstrate your values that you expect of players and vice versa, player expects coach to listen to them. But then when the coach is talking, they're talking over them. Oh, sorry, mate, you've got double standards. So I think it's adult conversations. And if adults talk to adults, you get a resolution. If you're a prick, then see you later.
0: Some coaches... Uh, and often coaches that get very good results, in the, certainly in the first season or two, can be very autocratic in style and very aggressive in the way that they coach. And it's a really challenging situation because the results are normally better than they've been. Players are fitter. You win matches. The team feels like it's moving forward. And the, the trade-off is often the environment that's uncomfortable. And, uh, you know, coaches of that nature deliberately create an uncomfortable environment. They want competition for shirts. They want players to be out of their comfort zone. They want people to feel stressed and anxious because their belief is, rightly or wrong, that it gets the best out of people. And it can do. It can do, in a sh- certainly in a short-term situation, you know, when you're chasing, you know, a league win or you need some results to stay up at the end of the season. That style of coaching can injects a bit of attitude and life into a squad that's otherwise flagging but it can have a hugely detrimental effect on the longer term prosperity of a team because what happens is players are frightened to speak up because they look around them and see the results coming in they see players playing really well the obviously the atmosphere has changed the dialogue is one way rather than two way And what tends to happen is it's only after something's come out of the woodwork or it's only after people are maybe open about how they're feeling that you realise actually lots of other people in the squad feel the same way.
3: Yeah, I think what you were actually describing there, Matt, is, is how coaching should happen possibly in more of a premiership level, but not a grassroots level. We've seen it firsthand and whilst the results were great, the fallout from it was not okay and was fairly detrimental to the team, actually.
0: I think it was detrimental to people as well, wasn't it? That's the thing that I found really upsetting was that you say, okay, the the end of the season, the team pretty much disintegrated or was close to, that's probably a bit strong, but it was close to disintegrating. But what's been really upsetting looking back, and I I feel personal responsibility in a sense because I didn't do enough to, to stop it, but you saw players who were personally affected by that style of coaching.
3: Yeah. And I just don't think it's appropriate for grassroots level rugby, which is what we are. From my point of view, you know, as a player, it's great to have different coaches. I think that's really good. And in my experience, I used to pick the things that I liked from each different coach and take those with me. And I do that, I've done that as a coach as well. So I've watched other people coach and, And then as a coach, I've taken on the thing that I like from that person, the thing I like from that person. And then I've brought it onto myself, you know, into my own style. But not everybody thinks like that. And not everybody plays like that.
0: Yeah, totally. Looking at the coaches you guys have had over the years, is there a particular style of coaching that you personally respond better to than others?
4: Just anyone who sees you as an equal, I think. Anyone who sort of relates to you, sees you as one of them, not someone who's under them, someone who respects you, listens to you, talks with you and wants the best for you.
0: Yeah, I think that's, yeah, that's absolutely fair, isn't it? How about you, Mo? Obviously you've played under a number of coaches, played at top level and all the rest of it. What do you respond to versus other, not so much?
1: I think fresh ideas with a bit of routine because we need routine, we need repetition. But somebody that just, you look at it and think, fucking hell, you're mint. Like <laughs> I think I respect I respect you. You've got good ideas. You've got a rugby brain. But like Jody says, we'll speak to you. But equally, there's a line because I think it's absolutely amazing to have a coach that you could speak to and have a chat to about it and give you feedback and be constructive. Don't want someone that makes me feel like shit. But equally, if you're doing fitness or you're doing a drill and you're fucking walking, I want someone shouting at me saying, fucking hell, what are you doing, leave, And bust your ass but motivating at the same time. So they're not degrading you, but there's a bit of umph because no one needs someone standing on the sideline going, Molly, you're trying really hard, well done. Like, no, I'm not. I'm fucking blowing up my arse. Tell me to move. And I think it needs to be a balance. You don't want nicey-nicey, but you equally don't want harsh and demoralising. They needs to just be, they're firm but fair. And I think that's what I'd ask for a coach. They've got to be honest, transparent and lead by example.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I think leading by example is a big thing actually. And it's, it's hard to do. It's hard, you know, it's going back to what I said about getting too close to the squad. I think it's hard to, to lead by example all of the time. And it's easy sometimes to feel like you're one of the gang and, you know, maybe cross that line a little bit. Maybe it's on the social, maybe it's where you talk to them. Maybe it's the way you, you know, interact on the training park itself. And I think you kind of need to maintain a little bit of separation between yourself and the squad and you know, need to maintain a little bit of, professional respect if that's the right word but but equally it's bloody for the fucking fun of it aren't we we're not making money from it so you need to foster a fairly good environment as well i think one thing i found really difficult as a coach was the fact that you feel like you need to be a performing monkey every week you know you i don't know if you guys have felt that but planning and delivering a training session week in week out is not you know a massive amount of fun and so many factors are at play The numbers of people that are there, the skill set of people that are there, the weather conditions, the time of day, all all these sorts of things factor in also where the squad might be in their development. So being expected to turn up every week and do whiz bang, amazing, fancy sessions can be really draining, you know. And I certainly felt that there were times where certain players were quite critical of a particular session, because they were maybe, you know, I don't want to pick on individual people particularly. People, maybe he was doing uni degrees in sports sciences or things like that. And they're going and learning how to be an amazing coach in the classroom. And they got a, an idea of what the theory of it all is. And they co- it comes to a training session that you've just run after an eight and a half hour day at work, looking after a young family or whatever. They expect you to just come up with all these incredible modern techniques. It's, it can be draining and it can really affect the way you enjoy it. And also your relationship with the players to some degree.
4: So that's a the point there. You've asked us from our point of view as players, how you feel about when coaches should leave? From your point of view, when is it? Because obviously we have coaches, listen as well as players and refs, and we have all sort of an audience. When is the time to take a step
0: back? It's going to sound weird, but it's when you're still enjoying it. I think if you have got to the point where you're no longer enjoying it, it's too late. You know, there's a lot to be said for leaving on a high. I wish I'd I couldn't in a sense because of the other circumstances that that came out um, around that time. But I wish I'd sort of said at the end of that season where we were unbeaten, or not unbeaten, sorry, when we won the league and the cup, I wish then I'd said, look, that's it for me. For at least a couple of years, I'm going to take a break rather than having my hand forced for the reasons later on in the year. Because at that point, I was still really enjoying it. It had been tough. Don't get me wrong. It was exhausting. I remember getting into the the season feeling really drained and really a little bit burnt out by it all, to be honest. But I felt like I'd achieved probably as much as I was going to at that time with that squad. And that's when I should have gone. You do see a lot of coaches that hang on a little bit too long. We've seen it with the, the men's section a few times, you know, where coaches have been around the block a few times and they need to always be cut, you know, pulled aside and said, look, I think it's time you moved on. Or you only ever do it for three years and that's the maximum you can do it for, irrespective of whether the team want you to do it or not. That's the deal. You turn up, you do maximum three years, then you're out whether you like it or not. Because there's a constant freshness. And as a coach, you know you've got a you know, a window of time to achieve what you want to achieve before you move on and maybe coach a different team.
1: I agree with what you say, Matt. I think, no, I think three years is is good time. And then actually I think it is time for you to move on because you've learned stuff from both sides and actually team needs fresh blood and the coach needs a new challenge. Yeah, but it doesn't mean you can stop, you have
3: to stop coaching full No, stop. not
0: at all. To rotate teams.
3: Yeah, go off and coach another age group, some junior members, some older members anything you know it just doesn't have to I think yeah just to stay with the same age group is for a long time is and it becomes very stale
4: that's what you did with intro to rugby as well though
0: yeah that's why I still do that because I love that you know and I can do and do that yeah that's six weeks whatever and do a little bit of work and help out now and again and I think I quite like to be kind of a technical coach in, in some aspects of the game really maybe work across the different teams in a particular skill area or something like that. That would be my ideal, really. I think running a a full team, um, unless you're up for it and can fully commit to it, it's not for the faint-hearted unless you've got a really good support team around you. I was really lucky, certainly for the first couple of years of doing it with you lot, that I had Mark, who was a brilliant administrator, and was always the guy that remembered to do the things that I wouldn't do. He was always the guy that said, oh, hang on a minute, have you thought about this before we spent money or bought kit or... Entered into a competition or whatever it was. He was a guy that kind of brought in some checks and balances. Then we had Nick, who was at that point very, very experienced and really good person to learn off. You know, so I could learn my coaching ropes a little bit alongside people who maybe had a different view of the game and different skills to bring. Um, so it, it didn't. It wasn't solely on my shoulders all of the time. You know, even though it felt like mm. it at times.
3: You know, let's not forget that coaching is a volunteer role. So you know, three years of giving it everything. Is it's massive, it's a massive part of your life. And for some people, that's everything and that's what they want to do and that's their hobby, that's their pastime, that's their passion. But also, you probably need a break after that.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Mentally, physically.
0: I, yeah. So I can guarantee, Molly, if you went into looking at the junior session, I only do a bit in the junior session. If you walked over to the under 14, under 15, sorry, you know, on a Thursday night and I went and walked over to your group we both see things differently you'd see aspects of that that squad that we're not coaching properly in, and i'd see probably in your squad as well
1: yeah and it's like i said it's fresh ideas isn't it
5: mm.
1: it's fresh ideas and a clean perspective of you know it's a blank canvas and you're going to paint a different picture with each team
3: and also if you if you think about those age groups as well 14s 15s 16s They've probably had the same coaches since they were those kids were eight. That yeah. won't have changed for a long time. That's a fairly sticky, point, really, isn't it?
0: Very much so. So, there you go. If you're listening, if you're a coach and you've been coaching for three years or more, now's the time to stop. Coach is a dickhead, sack him. <laughs> if your coach is struggling, help them. What other bits of advice have we teased out of this rambling conversation?
3: <laughs> I'm not even um, sure
4: at this stage. <laughs> speak up. Yeah.
3: Speak
0: up. And if you hear on the grapevine of a coach being sacked somewhere in the Northwestern area of the UK and you know, some information, please get in touch. Right. Before we move on to knock on, knock off, I just want to thank from the, I was going to say from the bottom of my heart, but I think it's more the heart of my bottom, the dickheads that have donated to the massage fund. Mm. Um, You know, I kind of said that sort of in jest, not expecting anybody to actually donate. But there's been some clowns that thought it'd be funny to send me and Lou for a a Thai massage at some point with Sherry there with a a dictaphone and a glass of vodka barocca.
4: I cannot wait.
0: So thanks thank you very much for for your kind donations i I personally can't wait to have my spine rearranged into the shape of an s hook
3: well i can't wait for that either because it's going to happen to you first (laughs) and not me second
0: (laughs) (laughs) we've got enough for one so far so we're halfway there which is either me on my own or we keep fundraising on that note (laughs) jody
4: Knock on, knock off. Yes, we're back. Uh, so going with the theme of countries, I thought I'd try and hit all the Six Nations. So this week's topic, well, category is Italy. So these are teams that play for the top 14 team in the Italy league, Italian league. The ones that are knockoffs are going to be food items because it's a bit... Oh, uh, Lou's got the <laughs> other hand again. <laughs> it's fixed. What can I say? The handicap. Exactly. So there's six questions. Well, six teams slash food. And you've got to guess which one's a knock on and knock off. So I feel like maybe I should answer last.
0: Yeah. Otherwise we just follow Lou. No. And, and I'm hoping you get your pronunciation right here. Yeah,
4: no. I'm, f- I'm fucking hoping here. It's,
0: oh, you defending Oh, nation.
4: <laughs> no, it won't be the first. <laughs> So we've got Mogliano Veneto. Mogliano on. Veneto. On. Is that Vianetta?
0: <laughs> I'm going to say that is a team. So I'm going to say that's a knock on.
4: Okay. And Louise? <sighs>
3: Sounds roughly like Vianetta. But I'm going
0: to say. <laughs> <laughs> Which probably isn't an Italian word at, at all. probably just made up no. by walls.
3: No, a 90s dessert loved by a whole generation that's just basically ice cream. You can say knock on.
4: Knock on. Knock on to Matt and Lou, correct. Yay. That is a team uh, that was founded in 1956 and in the
0: top 14 league. Nice. So at my uni, we were mucking around playing drinking games. We ran out of beer. So rather than downing a pint, we had to down a vionetta.
4: Oh,
3: ace.
0: <laughs> no, it wasn't. It seems like a great idea until you get the mother of all ice cream headaches. <laughs> well, it's not pleasant. Yeah. So probably decent sort of drinking fine, but be careful.
3: I've never heard of downing a Vionetta before.
0: It's not easy. What do you do? Do you, you, <laughs> know, do you chew? Do you just try and swallow it whole? Use your hands? Do you use a fork?
3: There's very sharp layers of chocolate exactly. in the Vionetta. Exactly.
4: Was it a slice of Vionetta or a whole one?
0: Exactly. Not as easy as it looks.
4: Okay, moving on. Right, what is (laughs) it? So, Cotoletta Rugby Club. Knock off. Knock off. Molly? Knock off. Knock Knock off. off. Knock on. Knock on. Okay. All right. It is a knock off. Cotoletta (laughs) is, in fact, uh, an Italian word for veal-breaded cutlet. Great. Mm. Nice. (sighs) Disappointed, Lou. Very disappointed. Oh my. So, Matt, you got the point for that one. And Mel.
3: Bollocks. Here we go. Back to the beginning. <laughs>
4: Lou so being utterly shit at knock on, <sighs> knock off.
0: It was actually a flash in the pan.
4: But I'm mm. <laughs> Is that a cooking joke or is that just a joke? Yeah. Cooking yeah, okay. joke. Cooking joke. <laughs> so, the next one we have is Ribolita, rugby club.
1: Knock off. Uh, no, knock on, knock on. I'm going knock on. I'm going okay. knock on. Knock on? Knock off. Correct,
4: it's so a knock off. Do you know what it is? It. Absolutely no idea. Okay. <laughs> Rigletta is a Tuscan bread soup, uh, porridge, potage, maybe bread and vegetables, often from leftovers. I'm not sure you're pronouncing these right, but okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you can pronounce it with a northern accent. That's why. You actually use a proper Italian oh, accent. Knock
4: off. <laughs> R-I-B...
0: Riboletta. Riboletta. <laughs> some riboletta and some garlic bread.
4: Riboletta.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
4: <laughs> it's well good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Colono, rugby club. Knock on. Knock on or knock off? Knock on. Knock on. Mole Lou. Knock on. Knock off. Knock off. For fuck's sake, Lou. I've done what I can. i fucking tried my best there, and you're fucking me over. Literally. <laughs> yes, it's a knock-on. It's a real rugby club. It was uh, founded in 1975, also part of the Top 14 League. I don't even know what to say at this stage. I don't know what more I can
3: do for you, Lou. I really don't at this point. <laughs> I'm not an expert on Italian cookery. I mean,
4: I do my best. Right. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Right, okay. Next one we have, Leon's Pia Zenza rugby club.
0: Knock off.
4: Knock on. Knock off. Knock on. Blue, please. <sighs> okay, say it again. Lyons Piazen <coughs> Pia Zenza. P I A Z E no C E N Z A. One more time. <laughs> <Fuck> <laughs> on. <laughs> I don't know, what did the others say? Um <laughs> Moll said knock on. Matt said, knock off? Knock off. Eh, knock off. Knock off, for fuck's sake. Moll, you got that point there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Leon's Leon's Piazzenza was founded in 1963. I'm a lost cause. I will give a bonus point if anyone can name what the, what's it called when you have mascot, that's it. Can name what the mascot is for Leon's Piazzenza. Lion? Yes, Matt. Extra point (laughs) to you.
1: Well, that was a Excellent. fucking easy guess, wasn't it? Well, why didn't you guess it then? <laughs> well, I didn't get a chance.
4: <laughs> Final one. We have pane toscano, Panet toscano. Knock Mo? off. Knock off.
0: Matt. Knock off. Knock off.
4: <laughs> Lou. Don't care. Lou. It's
0: not the spirit. Okay.
4: Though. Um. Knock off. Knock off. Correct, Lou. Finally, we got one. Yeah, Panet Toscano just means it's Tuscan bread. Mm. Bread that's made of
0: Toscano. If only I'd
4: brushed up on my Italian. I'll give you a warning next time on what country I'm doing so you can do a quick Duolingo uh, bash.
0: (laughs) So I can (laughs) learn an entire language. (laughs) And and research 5,000 different menus from various different eateries in the main cities. (laughs) (laughs) I
4: could do that if I know
0: which which country.
4: (laughs) FAM. So, the total scores are three for Lou, four for Mol, and because Matt guessed Lions, we have five for Matt, winner. Oh, what the fuck? This is Joe. i wasn't question. That wasn't a question, Jodie. Was it not? I'm sure it was a bonus point.
0: Well, I'm well, going to give myself some applause.
4: Oh,
1: cool. Well done, Matt. Commiserations, Lou and Mol. Oh, Jesus. At least oh, well. they beat Lou, and it's a profession. It's not much of a brag, though, is it? Well, back to normal for me. (laughs) She
0: is pretty shit. Back in your box. (laughs) This is Molly's grassroots salute.
1: Well, I thought we should possibly talk about the little day out that me, Jody, Lou, and Goose went to. Oh my god! Um, Yes. You know that thing we went to. -hmm. So the grassroots salute goes to um, the RFU actually, and they get a lot of flack on the pod, don't they? Bless them. They hosted a women's and rugby girl uh, networking day to launch their campaign for the World Cup that's coming up, and obviously um, it's a massive thing, and we're really excited to host it here in England. And we went to a fantastic day at Leicester Tigers, Matterwell. Road is it? Masswell Road is that
0: the stadium mm-hmm. name? That's the Tigers. But
1: anyway,
0: yeah. No, it's. Oh, what's it is it not Matterwood R- Road?
3: Welford Road. road. Welf- Welford Welford road. road. Yeah. We did get lost a little bit round the round, but um, yeah, whatever road yeah. we found the car anyway. park.
1: Yeah, we managed to blag our way into the the car park saying we worked for the RFU, (laughs) so that was comedy gold. But it was an absolutely amazing day. There was lots of great rugby contacts there for filming, games, providing video footage for the tackle height, which we all discussed on the pod at length. Hopefully they didn't listen to that. Talked about the, you know, kit designs for women. We got fed, watered, met some fantastic people. And we basically had a whole day to experience all the amazing people in, in women's rugby. We got to speak to RFU people. And then we had a panel chaired by Sue Antis, which was just incredible. Lots of people, and I won't name drop them all, on the panel. And they were asked about women's rugby. So Sue Day was there from the RFU talking about how the game's going to grow, how we're going to get more people involved and ultimately how we get more women playing rugby, more girls playing rugby, more women's refs, more girls taking up the sport and how we basically promote the fantastic game that we've got and make sure that in 2025, we've got women coaches at the World Cup, we've got more girls playing grassroots and just basically promote the game. And it was just like a really inspirational day and it was all put on free of charge We all had a mint day, didn't we? And it was just like, you know, to see all these inspirational role models of the game was just amazing. And when you left, you just felt empowered because you talked about the struggles, what we're going to commit to and how we're going to bring the grassroots game to life and get more women involved in the sport. And it was just, yeah, it was fantastic. So shout out to the RFU.
4: It's really good, yeah. Do you know what I felt? You, You kind of feel in your own little world of women's rugby that you're fighting the battle on your own in your own club fighting these issues that you've got to deal with, getting sanitary bins in the toilets, trying to separate changing rooms and all these little things. And then you go to this big event and you're not the only people who have the same issues that have to struggle with the same things, the same battles they have going on. And it kinda of felt very united, like it was all against the world.
0: Awesome. I want to pick up on a point there though, Molly. So I remember having a, a conversation with you not long after you came back from this event. And Mm. I seem to remember you saying something along the lines of, I'm changed, (laughs) I've converted, I'm now backing the tackle height changes. This is after I spent, felt like, thousands of hours of my life editing out anything which might end up with us being (laughs) thrown in prison, a large amount of swearing, plus (laughs) all the times where you got so animated you blew your own sound waves out (laughs) and, and how much you hated these laws, only to go and hear it from a few Dignitaries from a few, and be changed a changed woman. Do you want to talk us through this?
1: Yeah. So, okay. So, <laughs> the way <laughs> they, they. were very were... convincing. <laughs> yeah. I'm not backtracking <laughs> on my animated and emotive <laughs> <laughs> response because actually, when they explained it, they actually held their hands up and they said, We went about it the wrong way. We didn't explain it properly. We didn't provide enough kind of documentation and videos or anything to explain it and they broke it down and they talked about the fact of the matter is they're not trying to change the game they're trying to change people's heads being in the same space and that sounds a bit weird but if Matt if you're stood upright and I go to tackle you if I tackle you at armpit level the chance of my head being in the same space as yours as you drop into contact is really high Whereas if I aim for the torso or belly button and I slip up, the danger is I'm only going to slip up under your rib cage and my head and your head are not going to be in the same space. So the way the guy explained it to us, he was a lovely chap. They did a demo on a a mannequin and they talked about it and how it was delivered. And he actually held his hands up and said, yeah, we did a shit job. We didn't deliver it. We've caused all this uproar and we didn't provide any material to back up the findings in terms of what we actually expect so correct me if I'm wrong girls he explained it as if you go chest height you're going to slip up and you're going to go neck head if you go aim for the belly button and you slip up slightly you're going to go belly button and between the sternum. So you're still not in that danger zone. And that's the way he kind of portrayed it. He made it very clear that the handoff will not go, which was music to my fucking ears. The malls <laughs> aren't going to change. The rooks aren't going to change because the type of impact that you experience in those scenarios in comparison to a head-on-head or tackle situation, there's much less whiplash effect than if you were in a mall, et cetera, because the level of impact and speed is much lower. So... When he explained it, I was like, oh, that makes sense. But the way they delivered the message was shit. And ultimately he said they regret it and they wish they'd done it the correct way because they've caused all this uproar for something that's probably not going to be that different for us because we do it anyway. It's just gonna be ref's discretion about are people going for the belly button and then slipping up, or they start in at chest height and slipping up to the neck, which would result in a yellow or red card. So there's still a bit of work to be done about the ball carrier and how they're going to have to, you know, maybe adjust their body height going into contact, and they can't change their body height at the last second, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it sounded a lot more amenable when he explained it than obviously the shit they left on our doorstep and said, "Yeah, hey, tackles going low." <laughs> so yeah, mm. that's how I understood it. And
3: actually, when it was explained in that way, I just came away going oh, well, that's what we own for anyway, isn't it? Isn't that what we're meant to be doing anyway? But it's definitely the way it was explained was much better on the day when it had been explained that way rather than what had been released in the media.
0: Well, I blame Rugby League anyway because I think before, <laughs> before people like Jason Robinson came over from Rugby League back in the turn of the century, which actually was actually, but yeah, in the sort of late 90s and that, everybody tackled that way anyway. It was just a normal to tackle, waist and below. And then rugby league came in and this thing called the offload was suddenly invented. And everyone was like, oh my God, offloads are really, really powerful. You better tackle everybody, man and ball, round the head, you know? And that's kind of what crept into the game after that and kind of stayed with us. So anyone older than, say, 39, you're probably saying exactly the same thing. That, yeah, that's how we always used to do it anyway. No, good news.
3: so that's not me then if it's over
0: 39 no 29
4: (laughs) did anyone else because obviously in certain circles now especially that one we're a little bit famous in those sort of areas did anyone get asked like why listen to your podcast and as soon as you hear someone say that you go oh for fuck's sake is that just my reaction or does anyone else die inside
1: yeah
0: you have a few
4: yeah i had a about two people, one person on my table, and then another person said, and I can't remember, he said, Oh, you do that podcast, don't you? And I was like, Oh, for fuck's sake.
0: <laughs> yes.
4: Yes. Well, you haven't said some things on the podcast.
3: Like I have. Let's <laughs> just start that. Like, like what, Lou? I'm not going to lie. If, if death <laughs> was imminent and there was no time for anything else, probably have a massive wank. Yes, well, actually, on my table, there was someone from Yeovil, and I start, tried to have a conversation with this person and said, oh, oh so do you know about the podcast? Because I'm sure we'd done an interview with someone from Yeovil or similar. And they're like, no. I'm like, oh. Okay, well, anyway, we do this podcast, and uh, if you'd like to listen to it, I think some people from your team may have featured in it, but anyway, okay.:
0: <laughs> So all the teams that have been on the podcast, listen to the Bloody thing for goodness' sake, otherwise mm. we'll stop doing it and start interviewing just randoms down the pub instead.
4: <laughs> You'll be happy to know, actually, Mal, There was a girl yeah. at my table from Didsbury, she didn't know who I
1: was, <gasps> so that's a good thing. Oh, I' <sighs> safe well, I'm safe.
0: Did she struggle to eat her dinner due to the fact that she wasn't able to use her arms? Stop. (laughs) Anyway, on that note, thanks so much for listening. See you again next time. That takes us to the end of the episode. Thanks so much for listening to this smorgasbord of rugby chat. As always, please like, share and drop us a comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. To enter our competition, send your hashtag #shelfie to GrassrootsWomen at Hotmail.com. There's an inevitable conclusion to this. A brilliant finish. This is Grassroots Women's Rugby from the roots up.